So uh, when the pandemic started um, and we were home all day, every day with our three kids, my wife said to me, we need to buy a swing set. I mean, at the beginning, even outdoor playgrounds were, were closed, right? Like, if you remember this, we couldn't go anywhere. Like, our backyard was the only place, like, we could be. So I said, we don't need to buy one. I'll build one. <laughs> It'll be way cheaper. And, um, and she said, no way. I'm, I'm ordering one and having somebody install it for us. Because after 18 years of marriage, she knows that the confidence I have in my ability to sort of reverse engineer things doesn't match my ability or my experience. Now, re reverse engineering, and I don't know if this is exactly how, how it goes, but reverse engineering is when you start with a finished product and then you try to figure out how it works so that you can build it or at least fix it for yourself, right? I mean, usually it's sort of like somebody taking apart something to try to understand it. But the problem is that finished products that look simple usually are not actually that simple. So Maya knows that if we went down this path with me trying to build a swing set, that she would eventually hear me say, you know what, this is a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Because she's heard that like over and over and over again. Like, the sink is clogged. I'll fix it. It'll be fine. <laughs> it actually is more complicated. Um, so... Um, so she ordered a swing set and it was installed by people who knew what they were doing and it was fantastic. It was like great, especially during the pandemic. And the best part of the whole thing was that after it was installed, after the kids were having a good time, after we were relaxing and I was looking at some of the paperwork that we had, I realized that the slogan for the company that we bought the swing set from was saving marriages one swing set at a time. <laughs> so... She obviously knew something I didn't know at the time, and uh, thank you, Swing Set, for saving my marriage. Now, it's not just things that we tend to try to reverse engineer. We also like to do this with our faith. We also like to do this with our morality. We also, we like to try to, try to figure out how to, how to do things on our own and, and how, to, how to sort of control them. Um, but that tends to get us in all kinds of trouble. Typically. So, for example, the book of Proverbs, as I've mentioned before, gives us these simple bits of wisdom about life that might give us the impression, if we look at them, that, that life is easy to figure out. But Proverbs aren't intended to be like the finished product. Instead, a proverb is a place for us to start as we go about the work of discovering what is true and good for ourselves and for the world in all kinds of different situations. So, for example, Proverbs 12, 21 says, No harm happens to the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. All right? So, this proverb gives us a good place to start. The best chance that we have at a good life is to follow God's way of love, God's way of justice and equality in the world. That's what righteousness in Hebrew means. The wicked way of injustice and hate comes with all kinds of trouble. Fair enough. That's a great place to start. That's a, a great proverb to sort of help guide us as we navigate life. Unfortunately, problems begin when we, we try to reverse engineer these proverbs as if they were a formula that would always work in all situations that we could control. So, 
this is what we do. If no harm comes to those who are righteous, we turn it around and say that must mean that those who are healthy and wealthy and strong, they must be righteous. Those are the good people. And those who are sick or poor or struggling in any way, well, those people must have done something wrong. They must be bad. The outward circumstances of life become the way we determine who's good and who's bad. Do you see how we, re- we reverse things in this way? Last week I mentioned uh, this old saying that my grandfather used to say while we were sitting around the campfire, and apparently none of you had ever heard this old saying before, smoke follows beauty. And so if we take that same principle and we, we reverse engineer this old saying that my grandfather used to say, what happens if the smoke is blowing away from me? Like, does that mean that I'm ugly? Right? Like, we, we begin to read into all kinds of things with these Proverbs. So if, if life isn't going the way that we want it to go, or if something tragic happens to us, or if we're not getting better, I'm guessing that many of us still today struggle with this voice that says, what have you done wrong? Maybe your faith isn't strong enough. Maybe you just need to be a better person and then things would work out. I mean, Jesus' own disciples, seeing a man who's begging on the side of the road, ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you see how they were reverse engineering the proverb? His life situation tells us that either he or his parents did something wrong. He or his parents are bad. And Jesus says, neither he nor his parents. Life doesn't work this way. Like, stop trying to reverse engineer your morality. Stop trying to control life as if it were an easy formula. Life is way more complicated. Instead, what you need to do is to look for the movement of God in his life, look for the movement of God in every life. But Jesus isn't the only one to have challenged this way of understanding the Proverbs. As I mentioned last week, the book of Ecclesiastes is in conversation with the book of Proverbs. It's like two people, three people actually, when you add the book of Job, who are having a conversation and they don't always agree. So Ecclesiastes 7, 15 says, in my absurd life or in my, my short and, and pointless life or in my meaningless life, the word there, absurd or, or, or meaningless or vain is, is hevel. It's this word that we don't understand and can't quite sort of get a hold of it like smoke. In my absurd life, I have seen everything. There are righteous people who perish in their righteousness, and there are wicked people who prolong their life in their evil doing. Like that sounds like the opposite of what the Proverbs just said. Now, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, if only life were that simple, right? If only it were that simple. If only there were evil people somewhere doing insidious deeds, evil deeds, And it was only necessary to separate those people out from the rest of us and to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The line between good and evil cuts through the heart of all of us. So Ecclesiastes says, do not be too righteous. (laughs) Did you ever think you'd hear that in church, right? Do not be too righteous. I mean, come on, tone it down a little bit. And do not act too wise. Why should you destroy yourselves? I mean, ask anybody who's like perfectionistic. Like it's hard work, right? And our lives are probably a lot shorter. 
Do not be too wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should hold on to one without letting go of the other. For the one who fears God shall succeed with both. What? Like we're holding on to our righteousness and our wickedness. So while the book of Proverbs seems to be focusing on ideals, this is the way the world should work. I mean, this is the way, that, like, the world should work that way, right? Like, good people should have good things happen, and people that are mistreating others and unjust and causing hell in the world, like, I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't really want to say that bad things should happen to them either, but Proverbs looks at how the world should be. And the book of Ecclesiastes looks at the world how it is. <laughs> like, let's just deal with reality, right? Like, at the end of the day, let's deal with what is instead of what we want it to be, instead of what um, we hoped it would be. So, um, so don't try being perfect. But also don't get stuck in despair that, that, that there's something entirely wrong with us and, and this is why life is the way it is. It seems like it's hard to be good if we have to be perfect. But if we are allowed to fail, it gives us room to get better. Uh, there were a group of art students who were separated into two groups in, in, in this particular study. The first group was given the assignment to create the best piece of art they possibly could. That they would spend all of their time and they would be graded by focusing on one piece of art and making it as, as perfect as they possibly could. And, and so their grade would be based on the quality of, of that one piece of art. The second group was given the assignment to create as many pieces of art as possible. And so they would be judged and given that same amount of time to just create as many pieces of art. To, so they would be judged on quantity rather than quality. But in the end, the best pieces of art consistently came from the group that were just making a lot of different pieces of art instead of the one group that was focusing on being perfect. The best pieces of art came from those who were given the freedom to fail over and over and over again. And, and obviously they learned a whole lot as they were failing. It's hard to be good when we have to be perfect. It's really hard to be good when we have to be perfect, but we can be better if we're given room to fail. So on this 4th of July weekend, there are, there are a lot of things for us to celebrate. I, I hope we're able to celebrate this weekend. I hope we're able to, um, to be together with family or to be in community or, or just enjoy, enjoy this weekend and to celebrate many of the good things that we experience here in this country. I hope that, that we have that opportunity. But we might also see some of these same dynamics of reverse engineering at work in our own national identity. As the most powerful and wealthy nation in the world, wildly successful. I mean, we are wildly successful in almost everything that we do. It can become easy for us to conclude that, well, that must mean that we're righteous. We're the good ones and God must be on our side. Like if God wasn't on our side, then how could we be so successful, right? But Ecclesiastes reminds us that the wicked can be successful too. And an honest look at, look at our history proves the point that, that a fair amount of our, of our success is built upon a fair amount of injustice and inequality. But, so having said that, if we're committed to reading the Proverbs backwards, admitting that we aren't perfect as a country can feel 
sort of like a threat to our national security and our national success. It's almost like, what if God finds out what we've done? Like, don't let him know, because if, if God finds out that we've done something bad, then something bad will happen to us. We'll lose our success. We'll lose our security. Do you see how that could work? And so we're committed to this story that we are somehow better than everyone else. We are committed to this story that we are somehow exceptional, different than everybody else. But if this country has to be painted, like if there's so much pressure on us to paint our country as perfect, then it's going to be really hard for us to be good. Because it's really hard to be good if we have to be perfect. Without coming to terms with our failures, there is no way for us to be better. It's hard for us to do that individually. It's hard, probably even harder for us to do that as a nation. Success, according to Ecclesiastes, is this. Living with honesty, with what is. Living with, with integrity while holding together the tensions of life. It's okay for us to say that there are good things about our country. It's okay for us to say that there are things that need to improve. We can hold the tension of our humanity. We can hold the tension of our, our way of being together in this world. We're not all good, and we're not all bad. Life just isn't as simple as we'd like it to be sometimes. So today is Communion Sunday, and so whenever we gather for communion, or for the Lord's Supper, we will often say that all are welcome. All are welcome without exception. And that means that there's room for every person. God's love and inclusive welcome is free and it's not dependent on what we've done or haven't done. And that means that there is room not just for all people, but there's room for all of us. There's freedom for us to fail. We come to the table with our successes. We come to the table with our failures. We come with our strengths and our weaknesses. We come with our ideals. And we come with ah, just what is. I would love to be better today, but you know what? I'm just not. This is the power of God's love and grace. We are already loved. We already belong, regardless of what we've done or haven't done, which means that we can just be honest. We can show up and we can be who we are and we can trust that we can be better because we're allowed to fail and we're allowed to be honest. I hope that that can be true for us individually. I hope that that can be true for us as a community. I hope it can be true for us as a country and, and, and as a world. But as we come to the table, perhaps we should consider uh, that the, the, at least one slogan for, for coming to the communion table would be, saving us from having to hide or pretend one meal at a time. We're invited to come to a table where we can just come as we are, honestly, with integrity, holding together the tensions of life.